This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, so folks, just to, just to finish up on announcements, again, we'll have these little postcards out there, and please feel free to pick one up. I think we all know somebody who's struggling with parenting right now. I, I You know, I'm 54 years old. I still struggle with it all the time. It's just going to be a great service. I can't plug in enough. Uh, it's going to be a big one. So, so please, please, please think about coming next week. Think about inviting a friend. I think it'll be a real important topic. So with that, we move on to our topic of belonging. Now, the premise of this, this series is pretty straightforward. We are in a crisis of loneliness. Statistics bear it out. It's, and I'm going to show you some of the statistics here in a few minutes. But they, they bear it out. And, and I love Dorothy Day's great words because I, I think they, they, they just they speak to it so well. And the universality of it. Dorothy Day, writing way back in the 1950s, said, We have all known the long loneliness. Let me say that again. We have all known the long loneliness. In other words, it's a universal experience. All of us in here have felt that way at some point in time. A long loneliness. And then she goes on to say, and this is where the smile comes, and we know the only solution is community. The only solution is community. And I believe firmly, and I, I think many of us share this, that, that church can be an incredibly important part of that community. Because it's something beyond. It's, it's beyond um, you know, people that are just like us, however you define just like us. It's, it's this thing that kind of where we gather, and it's such an, such an incredible, eclectic group that gathers here every week and gathers online. And yet somehow it works because, because we're looking to God. We're all looking to the same kind of thing. Granted, from a different angle, having a different map, having a different map, but sharing the same compass. I think that's really important. I think with churches and synagogues and mosques and temples, you know, I, I think all of us are in this endeavor, this endeavor to be this. We want to be, I'm going to say the I word there, we want to be what the world is invited to become. That's why one of our first slides we show in the slide deck before church is, is church is an invitation, not an institution. It's that idea of, of we're here to invite people to, to, to a picture of the world which we desire the world to become like. And it's, it's not, folks, it's, it's not done, I want to be so clear, it's not done kind of like here we are way up here, or any group is way up here, here's the rest of the world, and we are so fortunate <laughs> to be able to reach down and help them. That's not it at all. It's actually how do we come down off the mountain and join people where they are in their lives as best we can, blessed, broken, and shared, as we always say, imperfectly, as we always say, but trying our best in our own broken ways to join them with the spirit of love, camaraderie, fellowship, brotherhood, sisterhood, all those things. That's why, you know, it was so important when we read it, our mission statement for New Church Live, it was the key. It was really the key. New Church Live, a spiritual home, number one, where belonging and service matter. A new spiritual home where belonging and service matter. 
And that's just what I want us to all feel today. Can, can we have that feeling of belonging? And it doesn't mean that we work in lockstep agreement over everything. We, we, we don't. But, but the point is that there's a shared heart there that gives this deep sense of belonging. And that's, that's what all of our hope is over this, over this series, is that we sense it and that we can find more and more ways to spread that sense of belonging to other people. Because of this. Because it matters. Because we want people to feel like they belong. Because a world full of people who feel like they matter, feel like they belong, is a better world. It's a more loving world. It's a more true world. It's something we all want to become and move towards. I mean, folks, just think about for yourself the places where you feel a sense of belonging. And think of what that means in your life. That's what we want to share, imperfectly. But that's what we want to share. So we want to share that, of course, at this, at this beautiful sort of deep theological level but we also want to share it with a ham dinner. So are we ready for our raffle? All right, so the lights are going to come up. The Angela's going to bring the tickets forward, and then I'd ask you to pull out your little stub. So Ange, come on up, and we'll get this. We'll get a ham drunk. All right, all right, I'll explain it again. So the point of the ham raffle was this. This is a series on belonging. The point of the ham raffle was that if you win the ham, you get a chance to invite friends, family, little footnote, Pastor Chuck, over to dinner, over to do something, over to do ham, or if you want to donate it, and you know you want to donate it to St. Francis Inn, and you want to go down and do St. Francis, donate the ham there, you'll, it's ama- I've seen hot dogs served more ways than imaginable down there. Uh, no doubt what they can do with ham, super cool. All right? So, Angie, you want to dump it in there? All right. All right, it is number 393, or is there all 393, so now you're all really excited, 754. Who has it? Who has it? 393754. Must be somebody who hates ham right now who's going like, I didn't win that. Does anybody have it? Is anybody out there? Well, maybe they do. We'll go to another one. Go ahead. You pull another one. All right. 393-715. David, give him a round of applause. I I have it in the lobby. All right. The ham is in the lobby, Dave, just so you're ready. Dave, Dave, you got to stand up and give the studio audience a wave there as their first ham winner. Excellent. Dave is now the most important person for dinner this week. That is, that is excellent. So, so folks, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a series that is going to have this both and to it. I want to be clear. Like, it's going to have these fun parts, and it's also something we need to look at. Like, it, this matters. This really matters. I want to talk with, with really defining the problem pretty clearly by, by taking a look. What is the crisis of loneliness? Like, what is it? Let's take a look at, at what that is. So the next slide. Eighth graders who spend 10 or more hours per week on social media are 56% more likely to say they are unhappy than those who spend less time. In 20, this this statistic was totally sobering to me. 
In 2017, there were 47% more suicides among people ages 15 to 19 than in the year 2000. The age, the crisis where it is greatest is between, is, are those between the ages of 18 and 22. They, they, they say they are the loneliest group in America. Demographically, in terms of demographic slices, the crisis is greatest among single parents. When did those shifts start? 2012. It was interesting doing research for us and looking at the statistics. I read a great article in the Atlantic magazine, and she was saying all of a sudden, you know, 2012 was like a hockey stick. All of a sudden, the, the statistics around loneliness shot up. Now, I said this to the volunteer team before the church service. Does anybody want to shout out a guess what happened in 2012? Yeah. 2012, the majority of Americans reported owning this. That's really important, right? Because does this make us more connected technologically? Yes. Can it also feed disconnection? Absolutely. You know, and, and you, you think about that, folks. Like, again, you go to this 10-hour thing, and all of a sudden you go above 10 hours for, for somebody in junior high school. All of a sudden their depression goes way up. So in other words, the more social media, the less happy our lives tend to be. I've never seen a statistic different from that. I've never seen a statistic that says if you go from 10 to 20 hours on social media, you'll be twice as happy. Just real important for us to keep that in mind. And it's tough. I mean, I struggle with social media as well. And, and you know, so much of church life, frankly, is on social media. How do we hold it? How do we hold this technology thing? How do we create a sense of belonging? That's why I love, I love the gatherings that happen online, and I love the gatherings that happen in person. And it always needs to be a both and. Because I don't think we can ever afford to just be online. I think we need the in-person as well, that connection, which is why some people, some groups watch together. And there's a beautiful chat room run as well, just so people get that chance maybe to form a little bit of community. Because, again, that it matters. And it matters for this reason. Here's a beautiful line from New Church Theology. All the life, maybe you say the last C word there, all the life a person has comes from the Lord by way of communities. Isn't that interesting? Now here, Manuel Swedenborg, who's like Martin Luther to us, Manuel Swedenborg talking about it on two levels. He's talking about spiritual communities, you know, that we're all surrounded by angels. And he's also talking about it at a natural level. We're all surrounded by angels. You know, and so much of our life comes from those communities that we're part of, which is why it's so important to be a life-giving community. A big sermon topic I have coming up, big sermon topic, and, and I want you to act surprised when I say it a few weeks from now, but I'm going to sort of give you a little spoiler to it. God gives us a table, not a courtroom. God gives us a table a nice ham in the middle, not a courtroom. That's that belonging that, that deeply, deeply matters. And we get to see it, and, and as soon as we see that sense of belonging, as soon as we see that sense of belonging, belonging um, put out there in the world, we, we know it, and we, we see it, and we resonate, and it, it gets us teary, it gives us chills, we feel our heart move. This is a little story of Michael Orlando Clark, a kindergarten student who was adopted by his parents. 
and his whole elementary school class decided to show up. Is that good or what? You think about what that little boy is understanding there about community. It's, it's truly powerful. And community isn't just created. We, we go through this, these, these challenges in, in the Christian tradition. We call those challenges. We call them temptations. We call, call them that because it's like it's, it's where we struggle with trying to learn what community is. And so many of these struggles, they take place alone. So I want to shift gears and read you a story about this. It's a story that takes place, this next slide, out there in the wilderness. And this is before Jesus starts his actual public ministry, what's called his public ministry. Now, Jesus only had a public ministry for about three years, which is fascinating. So he's about 30 years of age. He preaches till he's about 33, dies at age 33. But those three years changed the world. And in at least one of the four Gospels, it starts with this wilderness experience. And think of that both figuratively and literally. So I want to read you that story. It's a short one, but it's a beautiful one. It's about Jesus getting tempted out in the wilderness. Now, again, this temptation occurs when he's alone. And this temptation ends when he goes out and he starts healing other people, reminding them that they belong. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, fasting means you don't eat, he was hungry. The tempter said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. You may have heard that saying before, man does not live by bread alone, but of every word that comes from the mouth of God. Second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and led him up on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is risen, he, written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up by their hands, so that you may not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. Third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, and if you will bow, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the angel left him, excuse me, then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. As the band comes out for the middle song, when we come back, I want to talk about that idea of, of wilderness and that idea of what are the challenges there. And it's trying to see these challenges in light of what is going to move us to community. Because maybe this, maybe if right now you're feeling intense loneliness, we could look at that just as feeling intense loneliness. Or maybe this, my dear friends, maybe it's a call. Maybe it's a call to find a new way to belong, a new sense of belonging. And our job are to see those angel messengers who are going to help us take that next time, that next step of the journey. What a beautiful song, you know, that idea of like, like sending the angels. It, it's fascinating the way this story goes, because it it starts, here's, here's Jesus, and he goes through these three temptations 
uh, in the wilderness. And then the story right after, listen to this, folks, it's so beautiful. Jesus comes out of this time period, it's 40 days and 40 nights, symbolic of temptation. Comes out of this time, and he goes and finds a colony of lepers. Now, leprosy at that time, you were totally shunned, totally put apart. That's why you even heard, he will hear today the phrase leper colonies. They're still around today. You can Google it. Where those people were so shunned because the disease was so horrific, they were kind of, kind of put in their own isolated place. They literally were told they had to wear a bell and, and shout unclean, unclean anytime so that people could get well out of their way. Those people didn't know belonging. It's the first group Jesus goes to heal. There's huge sermons in that, right? But it's powerful. It's it's powerful to think about the magic. We can start to feel belonging and start to to work through the challenges of loneliness and start to move through it in, in ways that are powerful. And that's what this story, I think you could read this, these three temptations, you can read it in that light. So I want to step over here to, to this other place, and I want to talk about those three temptations. So here's Jesus in his life, just like all of us, and, and, and then he takes a step over here, this place in the wilderness. And this is part of life, too. I mean, it just is part of life. It, it just, it's, it's hard to get it across, folks, to just understand and I don't want to belabor it, but maybe I do. Wilderness time periods are part of life. They just are. It, it sometimes is very tempting to think, like to try to get into, well, the whys of it all. And God doesn't offer a whole lot of whys. He offers a whole lot of hows. You know, kind of how we move through, what's going to show up, what are the spiritual dynamics at work. And, and that's a way that maybe we can find a little relief and find our way back to a sense of belonging. And as the story has it, it's a sense of belonging, angels coming to him, but then him going out and being angels to others, angel to others. You know, that idea that it's, it's something that then gets shared. The part of this, folks, it, it starts out with this. He's, he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's a little hungry. And the beautiful part is the devil says, hey, I dare you to turn a stone into bread. If you're a hungry person, yes or no, does that sound like a good deal? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a great deal. Yeah, I so much wish life wasn't this. I so much wish it was this. That is a temptation in and of itself. I, I think it's the temptation that things can be somehow different than what they currently are. And and that doesn't mean, again, that we're passive about life and we don't try as best we can to move through. It's just understanding if you're in the wilderness, you're in the wilderness. And we don't have to call it something else than that. I I had a conversation with a a really beloved parishioner and we were talking about life struggles and I thought, boy, this is so much this and this and not being tempted to make life different than what it is. The only, this is her writing to me, the only way out is through. And sooner or later, I'll find my way. Happy New Year. That's a good way to end it. That is a powerful statement of just simply accepting life on life's terms. 
That's so much what you're going to hear from, from Nora McInerney in a few months. And we'll be talking about the planning team today. Like, how do we do that? That's the first temptation. And things should somehow be different than what they are. The second temptation. And it's interesting. To a hungry man, he offers bread. Satan offers bread. To a, to a, to a righteous man, he offers a quote. And he gives this great quote. And it's like, look, I will take you way up. Again, like we're, we're out in the de desert, and then he says, this next picture, I'll take you way up to the top of a mountain and to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. You can throw yourself down, and you don't need to worry about it. It'll all be okay. There's so many ways you could read these. You could read these and what it means in life. You know, in this time, this year, this season, I want to see the temptation this way. I think there's a legitimate way to see it which is the idea of self-destruction. The idea of self-destruction. The idea that, that, that we can destroy ourselves in any number of ways and somehow that's okay. And it's not. You know, it's tragic. And that's a temptation too in times of loneliness. Like, like think about it, folks. Times of loneliness, of course that's the temptation. Of course that's the temptation. But it's a temptation that we need to keep moving past. And the last one, all this I will give to you if you worship me. So he's pointing out all the world. He's there, oh, and then I'll give you all this. You know, so he starts out by offering to give him bread. And then he says, like, look, you, you know, self-destruction, it'll all be all right. There's no to that. And then, he's, then he pulls out the big card. Like, I'll give you everything. Manuel Swedenborg, in one of his passages, said, you know, that feeling that we can have it all is intoxicating. It's totally intoxicating. It's my eyes glazed over. We're just out of Christmas, right? So we can feel that way sometimes around Christmas. You know, that idea that you can have it all, that's, that's the third temptation. But... The beauty of it, again, is, is that's not what Jesus is about. It's not about saying life isn't what it is, because sometimes it's hard. It is that Jesus is not about saying self-destruction is an appropriate way to go, and he's certainly not about saying you can have it all, because right outside of that you can have it all is the belief that you should have it all. That's challenging. A little aside, folks, and it's one, I know we have some new people here today. It's, it's one that you'll hear me say a lot if you hang out around at New Church Live for a long time, which I hope all of you do. That word deserve versus word serve. The word deserve is the antonym of the word serve. The word deserve is the antonym of the word serve. And it's 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 like it's this it's this siren song. It's 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 so easy to tell someone, well, you deserve it all. Yeah, you know, and, and people do they do deserve certain things. Like people deserve to be treated humanely and to be treated with love and to have places where they feel safe and to have places where they feel at home. We all do deserve that. And we just have to be careful with that language. Because then it expands too much. It gives our ego a field day in a way where we just expand beyond the world that God calls us to. Because the, because the world God calls us to so much of the time 
are the people and the life circumstances right in front of us. And if we're always out here trying to have it all, we'll miss what is right here in front of us. And that thing that's in front of us is so good, so precious, so hard and crazy-making, but so incredibly precious as well. I'm going to step back over here. I think so much of the question that we're asked here, and it's, it's one, again, like I like to think of questions in my own mind where like you get to drive home and, and, and think about it and talk about it. If you came here with somebody, you came here as a family, uh, a good one to talk about. And it's, and it's this, this question here. What is your wilderness? So where's the wilderness for you? Where is it? You know, where do you find yourself in that place? I mean, there's a great one to ask your, ask a loved one and to hear back from them. Like, where's the wilderness for them? And where's for you? You might get a surprising answer. And what are its particular dangers? Like, when you go into that place, into that wilderness place, what are the dangers that pop up for you? Is it anger? Is it vengefulness? Or maybe it's one of these three, these three themes that we see in the story. And I would imagine a lot of us get this. Is it one of these three? Let's say these together, folks. Ready? Isolate, destroy, indulge. Is your favorite list listed there? No. No. (laughs) Some of us go three for three on that list. You know, like, if, if I'm in a wilderness state, I'll start thinking about it as I'm just eating way too much food. I indulge. I indulge, and, and I do that all the time. Look at this list, right? You know, that, that idea of isolating. Yeah, yeah, we do all feel this sense of loneliness. We clearly do. And many of us, when we feel this sense of loneliness, and get, get how, like, like the forces of darkness, Darth Vader, the devil, whatever you want to say. You know, notice how it flips into when we feel alone, we isolate. Is that crazy? You do see that as a non sequitur, right? You know, we feel alone, so what we do is we isolate. The times I'm least likely to have a conversation with my beloved wife is when I need to have the conversation. <laughs> like, that's craziness. So we isolate. We also destroy. And that can be self-destruction in any number of ways, however you define it. It can also be where we, where we get tempted to destroy other people. Now, very few of us does that come down to an actual physical action. But it's interesting to me, when I'm feeling alone, how good it can feel. This is so horrible, but how good it can feel to talk badly about someone else or badly about an institution because I'm just feeling loneliness so I can find this little piece of camaraderie around something we both don't like. Is that a healthy sense of belonging? Not really. And indulge is a straightforward one. See, the battle from a new church perspective is always between our best intentions, and our compulsions. 
our best intentions, and our compulsions. Our job, as is often said, is to deliver our best intentions on God's behalf. And as, as best we can, because we can't avoid all compulsion or compulsive behavior, as best we can sort of tamp this down. This is where heaven works. This is where hell has a field day. We need to do the best we can, the best we can, to allow those best intentions into our heart. It's interesting, folks, then again, coming back to this how question. How then do we move through this stuff? How do we move through it? It's tough, you know? It's, it's, it, it, it takes time. I want to say it that way. And, and it's interesting with the Bible. The Bible is just, it's such a brilliant document. Because if this was a 20th century Fox movie, right? You'd have the devil, you'd have Jesus, they go out to the desert, the devil, the devil kind of does his temptation thing, and then what should Jesus do? Who can give me the made-for-movie part now? What, in a movie, what should happen now between Jesus and the devil? A big fight, right? Big epic warfare. And who should win? Jesus should win. He should kick the you-know-what out of that other thing. Please listen. This story does not end with a battle scene. This story does not end with a battle scene. There's no final, all right, we're going to have it, we're going to have it out, get it once, done, over, boom, done, killed the guy. Not it. It doesn't end with a final battle scene. It ends with healing. With a healing scene. Jesus travels, heals the lepers. The lepers who were dealing with this horrible disease of leprosy, who would have never felt any sense of belonging, and here comes someone who's willing to reach out, touch, and heal. It's interesting, you know, even the line here. It says this, away from me, Satan, the devil left him and angels came to attend to him. It was interesting, kind of, kind of that word away, because it makes it sound sort of like him going like, away from me, Satan, sort of tele-evangelist E. You know what that word way, when I looked it up, it was fascinating. When I looked up the word away in the Aramaic, what that word means, this is so fascinating, folks, it has a connotation of, quote, sinking out of sight. Sinking out of sight. Not an epic battle. But eventually the darkness sinks out of sight. We need that patience to live with that process, knowing that it's God's process. And then that sinking out of sight, it's not the last step. It's not the beginning of Christ's victorious Again, it's the beginning of a healing story. A story of belonging. A story of touching. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, I've preached on it before, but it's still such a fascinating little mini-sermon in the Bible. You look in the Old Testament, these people with leprosy, they were to wear a bell, they were to scream, unclean, unclean. And, and then there's these, these many stories where Jesus goes to heal this group, and and one of the most beautiful ones, you know, again, this story, bells, unclean, unclean. And then what Jesus does at first, it says, Jesus, for this leper, Jesus touched him. 
Now, that meant Jesus was touching somebody who was considered unclean, who didn't belong. That's that story of healing. That's a story of belonging that can then start to move out in that idea, again, that as we move through this, that we have to be able to look around and get that there are angels attending to us all the time. Attending to us, of course, from heaven. And angels attending to us as well. Angels attending to us as well. Messengers. Just simply saying you belong. You're part of the family. And with this family, there's always room for one more. With this family, there's always room for one more. That, my dear friends, is the essence of belonging. Amen. Now, to sort of celebrate this, folks, let's all get a big breath. I've been told I need to wait longer to take a big breath. So let's do that one more time. To celebrate this, we're now going to celebrate a baptism together. A great symbol of belonging and what belonging means and, and belonging not into an exclusive club, but belonging into the better angels of our nature. Something in the new church that's not a finish line, but it's actually a starting line. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.